Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, here's your host, Jason Day. Hello, friends, and welcome to this week's episode of the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Day, and we are bringing you a special replay episode this week in light of the coming elections here in the United States. About a year and a half ago, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Dr. Ed Stesser and discussing some of the unique challenges pastors and ministry leaders were facing regarding division over politics. We believe this conversation can be helpful as you are navigating a particularly interesting season, and we hope that you'll pass this along to your ministry team leaders, colleagues, and others. Ed Stetzer has been influential in the church world, writing, speaking, teaching, and coaching pastors and ministry leaders on six continents about important topics such as theology, missiology, church planting, and church revitalization. Ed is the executive director of the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center and also serves as the dean of the School of Mission, Ministry, and Leadership at Wheaton. He has planted, revitalized, and pastored a number of churches and currently serves as the teaching pastor at High Point Church in Naperville, Illinois. Ed is a columnist for Outreach Magazine and is frequently cited in, interviewed by, and writes for news outlets such as USA Today and CNN. On this week's episode, Ed and I tackle some timely topics, including how to properly view political power as a mature Christ follower, the dangers of being discipled by cable news channels, and some insights on how the church can best navigate the political divisiveness we are facing. Such an important discussion, so let's dive right into my conversation with Dr. Ed Stetzer. Ed Stetzer, welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. Great to have you in the studio. In the studio in the heart of Outreach World in Colorado Springs, which how do you live in Colorado Springs? It's like living in paradise. It is. We're blessed. It is nice. <laughs> and mountains and sunshine. and But no, it's good to be here again. So thankful for... Church leaders, yeah, but I mean, the whole thing, outreach, is, I've, I've been friend of outreach, I don't even know, for 15, 20 years, and to see all the things you do, it's been great to see. Thanks for having me on the podcast. You're kind of you, new. I've been I've been around longer than you. Yes, yes. So I'm yeah, I've two been years, here a couple of years, but yeah. I've known these folks for 15, 20 years. That's Crazy, right. right. Makes That's me sound right. old. Hello, like old yeah. man. Let me, tell you about what I, let me tell you about your grandparents. All right, uh, anyway, I'm ready. I'm sorry. No, no, that's good. That's good, brother. Now, super excited to have you here with us uh, this week, and- we're really going to jump into a topic that this is one of the probably one of the biggest hot button topics right now when it comes to ministry. And th- there's not a pastor in the U.S. who isn't wrestling with just how our nation's divided yeah. and yeah. and just the conversations and how as a pastor how do we faithfully honor God yeah. and live that out when we have people within our congregations who see things completely yep. differently. Yep. Right. So so let's just jump in yeah. there. Why don't you, you talk see, to us? I mean, so people are like if you want to talk about politics, right? So people are saying, Hey, how come you didn't speak uh up for children separated at the border? And then there's another group of people saying, How come you didn't speak up for Supreme Court nominee? There's another group of people saying, How can you vote for this person? The other person saying, How can you not vote for this person? President Trump has been kind of a, a rallying point for a lot of people, but also a point of distress for other people. Um and so we find ourselves in outrage and an outraged culture. And that's true. You know, it's pretty interesting. So I, I started writing this book a little more than a year ago, over a year ago. And, you know, then you finished it and it takes nine months to go through the process. And I'm thinking, man, I don't know if people are still going to be outraged nine months later. <laughs> I was like, wow. So I, I got a, a voicemail just while I was interviewing with another interview from Rick Warren. 
And uh, he was just saying, that's like a name drop. Sounds like a name drop. But, <laughs> but, it, but he says, Yo, but you couldn't have planned that better as far as being outraged. But it just keeps getting worse. It keep, people are still, and, and we give a lot of examples because sometimes it's outrage from Christians, which is not always helpful or Christ-honoring, but then it's outrage toward, towards Christians right. for, well, something they maybe didn't do or, or being you know identified as something they don't believe. So it's all around us, and it's it's getting worse. And I think a lot of pastors and church leaders, and this is the Church Leaders Podcast, they're asking the question, what should we do? And so I had an article uh, that is up when uh, right around the Kavanaugh conversation, and what should you say? It's at Sermon Central, one of your sister resources here. And, you know, what should you or shouldn't you say in and around this? Well, that's a question people are asking every day. And I tried to write the book to help people navigate some of these outrageously angry times. Yeah, that's that's good. And let, let's just kind of jump in there because for a pastor of a, a typical church, yeah. they have these differing opinions. Sure, people you know? in church have different views. Exactly. Yeah. So how is it as a local church pastor— what do you recommend for them when it comes to addressing, especially some of these political issues? Yeah, totally, totally. You know, how, how, how engaged yeah. in politics should we question. be, shouldn't be? So we're right now coming out of the Supreme Court, big discussion. We don't know where, at the time of recording, we don't know where that's going to end up. So, but let's use that as an example. Okay, so here's what, you know, you have people very strongly taking sides here. A lot of people feel that Professor Ford was, uh, was credible, was believable. How did you not watch her and think she was credible and believable? People did. Right. But then... You had uh, Judge Kavanaugh, who was angry, but for defending himself, and was credible and believable. And the end result was is that you ended up people with two sides. Now they're not just two sides, but those sides are laden with meaning. So if you dismiss Professor Ford's allegations, you have a whole congregation full of people that, well, one in four women have actually been sexually assaulted, uh, who many would maybe some didn't believe her. But a lot of people, so if you get flipping about this, right. I, I saw some pastors making jokes on social media because I had said, I, funny, I tweeted something that my wife, I, I always say to people, we moved to Buffalo when we were 20 to plan a church. And Donna said, no, we're 21. So for a year, I think I wrote in a book that I was 20. <laughs> and so I recently tweeted out, I got to confess, I have been for years misstating a fact. And so someone responded back to me, oh, I guess you can't ever serve in the Supreme Court. It's like, no, that's not. So again, mm-hmm. those kind of jokes are just not helpful. So regardless of your view... Right, so people are who have been hurt and traumatized that you pastor are looking to how you respond. On the other hand, people want to. Uh, many Christians want a more conservative Supreme Court. They care about the issues of life. I care about issues of life. Full disclosure: If people Googled, I wrote an article on Christianity Today in support of Judge Kavanaugh right when he was uh, nominated, and Atlantic Magazine has quoted me on this. And so, so as someone who wants a more conservative Supreme Court, who cares about issues of life and unborn children and more religious liberty. And then people that, well, you don't care about this. But here's the thing. You don't have to, and you didn't have to. It's passed now. You didn't have to take a position on this. You're not in the Senate. Your Facebook post is not going to be the thing that changes the mind of your senator. Really? <laughs> and you got to pastor people, some of whom care, de- well, all of whom care, but deeply might be divided on their view of this. And so what I want to say to pastors is don't, and I hope you didn't, don't say things that convince the women in your church. And it's not just women, but the women in your church that you're going to easily dismiss sexual abuse allegations. Uh, so don't do that. And furthermore, make sure people don't think you don't care about due process. You know, mm-hmm. and so due process matters, right? And, you know, FBI investigation, all those things, those matter. So you can hold both of those things to vast. You don't have to weigh in what I would be sure of. You don't have to weigh in on something that you don't know the details on. You didn't, you didn't read the FBI report. But you can say at some point, hey, listen, I want to know that if you're a woman in our church or, or, or man or a child or whatever— 
and you want to come to me. I'm, I'm going to walk with you through this. We're going to be- believe you, walk with you, going to help and encourage you, um, and then walk through due process because everyone's due process. But if they left that controversy hearing something else, you have failed as a pastor and maybe made your point as a politician, and Jesus didn't call you to be a politician. He called you to be a pastor. So I think that does that does that help? Is that kind of yeah, good example? That's good. Let me push a little further, Ed. Yeah. So how would you navigate this as a local church pastor when someone because this happens on, on these issues yeah. all the time, when someone presses you for, well, you know, well well, what do you think? Yeah. You know what I mean? Because that's happened as a pastor myself. You totally. know, they kind of push totally. in. They're like, well, we really want to yeah. know what you think. Yeah. You're our pastor, yeah. right? And, to, and so here's what I would say. Pastors are not experts on everything. Someone goes up to me and says, uh, what do you think about global warming, right? So, and I, and I actually, you know, I, I, I believe, I, I have a whole thought I could, I've written on the, I've written articles on the subject, so I guess it's not a secret. But again, here's what I think. I think that I'm a pastor and I'm not an expert on what processes and procedures in the Senate. I'm not an expert in this or that. And so what I sometimes say is someone comes up to me and says, what do you think? I says, I think I love you as your pastor, and I want to pastor you through this regardless of what you think about this issue. Mm. What my opinion is less important than my role as your pastor and your advocate, the shepherd of your souls. That's good. And I think that's hard for people to hear sometimes. Now, again, don't misunderstand. I want our listeners to think, well, Ed Zetra thinks we shouldn't take difficult positions because then you haven't read anything that I've written. <laughs> um, and, then, and by the way, I would say, again, don't do what I do. Do what I say. I'm a cultural commentator. Most people listening are church leaders. So— you know, I'm the interim pastor of Moody Church. So when I preach the Bible at Moody Church, this is, you know, historic church, mega church of uh, of world renown, I don't get up there. I've never co- had conversations about what I believe about this politician or that politician, but I do write about those things. But I'm a cultural commentator. When I'm at Moody Church, I'm a Bible preacher. Right. Um, and sometimes, you know, at Moody Church, I, you know, well, you know, Ed wrote this. Does he, does he speak for us as a whole church? No, this is not, because again, I'm just the interim, the interim right, right. and that's free. But if I was like back into local church ministry, I would probably say less, but I wouldn't say nothing. Uh, for example, I think it's important that I would speak up when things are the major issues of the day. I would speak up for the unborn, right? And I think right. that matters. That's not a political issue. But I'd also speak up that families shouldn't be separated at the border unnecessarily. Uh, I would speak up that it matters for religious liberty, and I'm thankful for Ambassador uh, Brownback, who's been appointed for that. Trump, uh, President Trump has appointed him for that. That matters to me. But I also don't think that we need to demonize immigrants as well. And mm-hmm. so, so I want to, but I don't want to be beholden to any political party, right. right? And this is where people get bad because they're like, "No, I'm all in." Don't be all in on anyone but Jesus. That's good because Jesus is not coming back on Air Force One, and mm-hmm. when he comes back, he's not going to be riding a donkey or an elephant. And so, if you can't critique sometimes and support sometimes, then, and I, and I would say the same thing for like un, under President Obama, when he uh, appointed Ambassador Saperstein as the religious freedom uh, ambassador, I was I would affirm that. I thought that was great. A lot of things, I mean, uh, President Obama, you know, brought forth things, particularly in his second term, that would work against uh, religious liberty concerns that I have and more, and I would speak up on those things. So I, again, but again, if you're a pastor church leader, you might speak up less than me, but here's what I would say, and this is really key. Don't let your silence cause people, particularly if you're an evangelical, to assume that you agree with everything that maybe others have gone along with with, a, with an administration or, or, or a government. So sometimes it's important to put a little daylight between you and others. And so we, I think we'd all agree President Trump has said some pretty heinous things about women. Mm. Um when that Access Hollywood bus tape came out, right. I think it'd been appropriate for every church leader to say, hey, just so you know, I think that's really heinous and terrible. Now, some Christians still, they work through that, and they had to come to the place where they 
because people who listened to us voted for President Trump or didn't vote for President right. Trump. And so I'm not saying that that precludes, you can say someone changed, you can say this, but don't be afraid to say, um, hey, this is wrong, and I want you to know that I don't agree. Even if you're a big supporter, I don't agree with everything, because there are some things that, as a Christian, I just need to say, as a pastor, I need to say, no, 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 I, that's not how we see people. That's not, that's not how we see people who are different than us. Right. Right. That's good. You know, one of the things that, that I've said as a pastor then, but also with my six children raising my kids, talking about these political six issues. Six kids. What a blessing. You demand. Yeah. Yeah. Good times. So, and um, as I've gotten older, we talk more and more about, you know, these political issues are going on. They're hearing about things at school and everything else. And one of the things I've always shared is every president is going to make some good decisions, is going to make some bad decisions. Yeah. Right. And, um, and that's just the reality. So, uh, just kind of like you said about the idea of going all in, you know, I mean, we want to be we want to be balanced as we look at things. And um, uh, one of the things I've seen more and more in social media, especially among uh, pastors, ministry leaders and, yeah. and just Christ followers, yeah. you know, or Christians on on social media is that we do have we talk about this divisiveness and and, uh, you know, this has been especially prevalent here in kind of politics. But we have some who are speaking out. Yeah. Like you said, there, there are times we don't want to be silent, we want to speak out. We have some are speaking out very loudly on one side of an issue yeah. representing the yeah. quote unquote church others speaking out very loudly on the other exact opposite yeah. side of the issue yeah. Yeah. speaking yeah. very you know on behalf of the church in a way you yeah. know what i mean how do we because that's a question that that i get from yeah. from people you know they're like wait well this this ministry leader saying this i know it's weird this ministry leader yeah. saying that it's so a divided time. right it's a divided time inside the church and what happens is is interesting is that people seem to like I'm on the more conservative side of evangelicalism, right? I'm a I'm a Southern Baptist, for example. I'm at Moody Church, and I'm going to assure you that at Moody Church we don't do newfangled things. <laughs> we stand behind the sacred desk and open up the Word of God. Um, and you know, so I'm on the more conservative side. But what happens? I see what happens. More conservative side is they're very quick to speak up on issues of life, like pro life, like mm-hmm. I am. Um, but they're less can, they're less quick to speak up on issues where there's racial injustice and things of that sort. Because what happens is when you're on the conservative side, it comes with a whole set of conservative beliefs and sometimes conservative votes, right? So, right? so that's not so much we talk about on the conservative side. But then I find that on the other side, maybe like more progressive evangelicals, mm-hmm. man, they're going to speak up on issues of race or issues of, uh, of, of gender or what else it may be. But I hardly ever hear them speak up on issues of the unborn, for example. And I think what happens is people tend to kind of fall into a group and then their group seems to have some sort of group think and they all get praised. Like when I speak up on pro-life issues, I get praised for that. When I spoke at the March for Life Mm -hmm. in Chicago and other places, because that's sort of my people. We're all pretty much pro-life. But when I also say, hey, there's some real racial injustice issues that need to be addressed, man, it's, it's kind of like, wait, 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 you can't say that. You're like on this team. But I, but I do think there are, right? And so, and now it's all getting mixed because this rising nationalism, it's like, so, you know, because I've, I've historically been on the conservative side politically as well, but I'm trying to figure out what always that means. You know, so if I, if I agreed with George W. Bush that this level of immigration was good, but now that's the liberal position, going to was George W. Bush's position, I don't even know how to do it. But so, so here's what happens. People get, it's tribalism, and I write about that in Christians in the Age of Outrage, a whole section on tribalism in the book. Tribalism causes us to only say the critiques that people in our tribe will agree with, so we're loud on pro-life, but we won't speak up on maybe some of the economic issues that are there, or vice versa on the other side. And what I try to kind of walk through, and it's not always easy, 
But when I talk about in Christians of the Age of Outrage, part of it is the idolatry. We're drawn to idolatry, and part of the idolatry is the, is the affirmation of our tribe. And I just think that Christians don't need to be co-opted mm. by culture in such a way they can't speak prophetically, at least in the U.S. You know, I know people listen to this around the world, but in the U.S. they can't speak prophetically to both Democrats and Republicans because Jesus doesn't fit in either of those. Now, the reality is, is because of some moral issues, we find more evangelicals on the Republican side in the U.S., which is strange to people, but particularly white evangelicals, evangelicals of color less so. But I think for all of us, I just want us to be able to still have a prophetic voice. Don't be co-opted. And and so part of that is you get people yelling at you, you know, and, that, and we write about that. How do you respond to Christians yelling at you and Christians at the age of outrage? But as a conservative evangelical, I try to walk carefully, but in a way I think that's prophetic in our culture. That's our hope, at least. Yeah, that's that's good. Now, as we're looking at this as divisiveness, you know, it's not just something that that is taking place. We're having these conversations within our church as pastors with, you know, people that are part of our congregation. But we're also looking at this bigger picture outside of the church now because we have people who are are not connected to church who are looking at the church. That's right. And saying, whoa. Yeah, these people are crazy. They're right, right. And we're now out of the cultural mainstream, which is different. So 100 years ago, the majority of people didn't attend church. There's never a time in your your parents or your great-parents, great-grandparents' lifetime where the majority of Americans regularly attended church. So they were always sort of on the – regular attenders were always the minority, but they were the cultural mainstream. So 100 years ago or maybe 75 years ago, you're running for the school board in Minnesota. You're going to put your, at a Luther, your member of a Lutheran church on there. Do that today. Put it on a church, on a school board, running when you're running for the school board. Man, you lose the election. You'd be on the front page right. of the paper as some crazy right-wing whatever. So what's happened is is that we switched from being the cultural mainstream, we call it in some ways Christendom, you know, the Judeo-Christian consensus, to now being on the edge, where now what we believe is easily caricatured and often caricatured. You know, the opening illustration of the book, there's a couple of things. I go back and forth uh, between outrage towards Christians and from Christians. And because I think Christians in the age of outrage, the age of outrage is both directed at us and sometimes we're unhelpful participants. You know, we both have a book here in front of us. The cover is a sheep with the snarl of a wolf. Right. Because that's sometimes the Christians, right? Right, right. I mean, think about how um, Christians blow up things that aren't true. We know that. I'm going to get to that. But sometimes they're, they go at us for things that aren't true. For example, uh, in, the first, in the introduction, before we get to the first chapter, I talk about um, kind of a rich businessman, a rich business Christian uh, Christian leader, and uh, and he owns a company called uh, well, the company doesn't matter, but eventually it, it puts on a music festival called Coachella, and some of our cool listeners will know what yeah. that is, but you know what Coachella is because right. you're a cool dude. Um, but the owner of that is actually a guy. It's through a company called AEG, and his name is Philip Anschutz. He's a well-known Christian businessman, billionaire, and he's got a holding company that owns a holding company. You know how that works. Right, right. Rich people. I don't have any holding companies. But anyway, <laughs> so the Pitchfork magazine, which is a music magazine that if you're really cool, you'd read that too. But do they write the article that Coachella's owner gives to deep anti-LGBTQ organizations? So who are these deep anti-LGBTQ organizations? Here they are. There's, they list them, right? Get ready. Here they come. They're terrible people. The Navigators right? Dare to Share Ministries. We know Greg Steer, right? right? Uh, the grant, the grant Center for Urban Renewal and Education, Movie Guide Awards, and worst of all, the biggest grant, Young Life. You know those oh my. rabid right. right-wingers at Young Life. <laughs> so, But they make it, Pitchfork pick, takes up a pitchfork, nice, nicely named, and they basically say, this guy's a bigot. Well, and, and he's, he just, he's a guy who loves Jesus to the navigators, to Young Life. I mean, Young Life, you know, Young Life. But then... 
remember a few years ago, 2015, this internet pastor, who I don't know what that even means, but this internet pastor, he says Starbucks has taken Christianity off their cups now or for Christmas, right? So, and this made this was on like CBS Nightly News, and so this internet pastor gets on there, million people watch it, then it's millions on millions, and 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 I and what he says is, quote, Starbucks hates Jesus, unquote. Now I don't, I, I think I'd probably disagree with the owner of Starbucks on some things. I've heard some things he said, but he said that they took Christmas off of their cups, but they've never had Christmas on their cups. The word Christ. Christmas. There's never been a picture of Jesus or the Virgin Mary or Bethlehem. They had one year a snowman, they had one year a snowflake, and one year they made red cups. And he made this war. And here's the thing. Christians got outraged all over the world. And I know people who love Jesus who shared what was a blatant lie that made us look like fools. And this internet pastor just got everyone riled up. And the end result... So, So again, it goes both directions, but I can't be responsible for Pitchfork Magazine but for the body of Christ, mm. we need to be responsible for the things we say and the things even people in our churches say, and we need a better way. And that's why we wrote Christians in the Age of Outrage. That's good. That's good. I know you get into this in the book, specifically around the idea of social media yeah. and how things well, are and shared. Part of it is, there's a whole chapter on social media, but what's interesting is we try to get out of social media, too, because there's a whole chapter on engaging your neighbor. Mm. Because um, social media, I think, is part of the cause of the problem, but detaching is part of the solution to the problem. So, you know, this morning my alarm went off, beep, 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 you know, on my iPhone, like, right. like most people, they're connected. But I pick up my phone and I look and it's got, you know, Twitter's got notifications, Facebook got notifications, Instagram. Like, I'm on anti-social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I'm not on Pinterest because I'm a man and men are not allowed on Pinterest. At least percentage-wise, they don't go on Pinterest. But I got, so this morning I'm looking at this and my question is, what do I do? Do I jump into the, because I know, you know, we're recording this right in the middle of some of the Supreme Court things. Or do I divert? Do I get to the Word of God? Do I spend some time? Do I pray for my neighbors? Do I do more than that? So I think part of Christians in the Age of Outrage is detaching from some of the railroad tracks that they're just leading to oblivion and saying, I'm going to go a different way. So one of the fun things in the book is we actually talk about, instead of jumping into some modern tools, walking some ancient paths, because we need to be. I actually talk about some missionaries like uh, Columba and Columban who created communities of Christians who loved one another and then loved the communities they were in and made such a difference. So I'm not, again, it's not an anti-social media book. It's a let's use it well for the glory of God. And I'm not always perfect at it either. But to walk that well, I think, is key. You know, that's that's good. I love that. And because one of the things that um, we find, or, or it seems in our churches when we're talking to people, um, it seems like they're getting more of their worldview from their favorite news cable news no station question. as opposed to scripture they are being discipled literally exactly. by their cable news channel and people's we did a research every chapter of christians in the age of outrage begins with a research vignette from a poll we did and people are far more connected to their cable news channel and to their social media community than they are being shaped by the word of god it's just true now now again i get that certain people say you know well i i, I want to be around people who agree with me and i get that and it's reinforced but the problem is it's not just reinforced, it's escalated. So what's happened is, like Christians started sharing some things. I mean, I've noticed like, you know, evangelicals really don't like some people. And they start sharing, but the things they share get worse and worse and worse and sooner untrue. And then they're just crazy conspiracies. I think this is not Jesus. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, he's the truth. We got to be people of the truth. And when we're not, the end result is we look foolish. 
I'll give you another example. One of my fun examples in the book early on is Caleb Kaltenbach. And, and you know, a lot of people know Caleb. He wrote Messy Grace. He grew up in a uh, same-sex household, uh, two, two moms um, two, who in a relationship. And he writes about that in Messy Grace, which is great. But what most people don't know about him, maybe you know about this, is he's also the Costco fiction Bible guy. You remember the Costco fiction Bible thing? Okay, right. great, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so Caleb walks into a store in California, Costco. There's a Bible in the fic- with a little label on it says fiction in the fiction section. He takes a picture, he tweets it, and uh, goes crazy, goes viral. It's on the front page of, and it's on news channels. It's on some of those cable news right, channels, right. particularly one of them, but we won't <laughs> name that now. Uh, but it's on that news channel. Goes all over the world. Chris is saying we're going to boycott Costco. Costco thinks the Bible's fiction. Caleb thought it was funny. He said some kid put a wrong label on right, the Bible. Right, right. <laughs> uh, and he, he says later, he says, I wasn't trying to make controversy. In fact, he, he found out, or he, he said that the CEO of Costco is a devout Catholic. So this is like, and he's, the, the guy's like, I don't, so I reach out to him. We talk, and this is before he starts writing these books, and he becomes sort of like well-known for being someone who walks through outrage care carefully. Right. I mean, imagine being raised in a same-sex household, becoming an evangelical Christian, changing your view. So he's getting all that. And then, then the two women he knew as mothers then come to Christ. I mean, this is here's a guy who's a model right. for walking well through this, and he gets caught up in this fake controversy as well. But it's because Christians, I don't want to miss this, Christians are too quick to believe lies about things in culture today. We've got to be more mature. We've got to disciple our minds to think, why would Costco put a Bible in a fiction section? It's just stupid for Costco. It's some kid working one of those little label machines that I used when I was at Albertsons as a kid, and that's all it was. But it embarrasses us. I mean, I'm telling you, I want to say to some people, you're hurting our team here. Right, right. And I think some of the people who picked up on that were not, whereas someone like Caleb has modeled that. He's got a new book out. I can't remember it right now, but people can find it online. Um, is He's modeling that. And and I want you to say, so Christians in the Age of Outrage is not just, it's all bad. It's, matter of fact, about 50 examples of people doing well across the ideological and even religious divides, building bridges, sharing the gospel. Got some great stories of people who shared the gospel, lives being changed. But they've kind of chosen to walk through the minefields of outrage focused on the love of Christ in the midst of the divided age. That's good. Ed, what I appreciate about you is you do all the research, you do all the studies. I mean, this has been part of your life for for many, many, many years, right? And so, but you always find the hope. You know, we get a lot of bad news. We can get plenty of bad news, right? And some of it's not so well researched, but I agree. Yeah. So, and I I love that you kind of shine a light on reality and then you show the hope because. Jesus is the hope of the world. Well, and you know, part of it, I've read the end of the book, Jesus Wins. <laughs> there you go. Right? So not the end of this book, Jesus right. Wins in my book too. But but uh, but in my book too, in Christians in the Age of Outrage, the subtitle is so key. It's how to bring our best when the world's at its worst. And what do we do? We look at examples. I mean, remember what the writer of Hebrews says, provoke one another to love and good deeds. Mm-hmm. So in Christians in the Age of Outrage, I'm trying to provoke Christians to love and good deeds, to make better choices, to line up with biblical values, a whole chapter on building a biblical worldview, whole chapter on living on mission in the midst of the cultural division. These things matter deeply to me. Now, here's why. You know, I have, my PhD is in missiology. Most people who maybe follow my ministry know that I've first and foremost, I was a church planter, and then I wrote about church planning. Then I got a PhD, wrote a dissertation on church planning. My missiology PhD is focused on help, and I train missionaries around the world to engage cultures. Well, so really, Christians in the Age of Outrage is just a practical missiology to engage a divided age, because I think ultimately that's our call is to show and share the love of Jesus in the midst of the outrage. Yeah, and I, I love this. It's a powerful book that's speaking directly into what we as pastors are hoping. facing. That's what we're hoping. Right, and yep. speaking directly into that. So 
Um, one quick thing before we uh, have to go. I'm just curious, how how do you think the the church moving forward, kind of kind of pushing out, how do you think the church uh, is going to be able to best navigate yeah. this divisiveness? Well, I think part of it, that's why I'm trying to lay out a better path, right? I think some can just jump on and become very partisan and politicized. And I think ultimately, and I get the call to that, but I think that's an idol. You know, Calvin said, mm-hmm. our heart's an idol factory. So I think right now people are clinging to the idol of greater power. And what I would say is I, I think ultimately you can vote, and people vote for complex reasons, and I'm not one. I, I, I didn't condemn people for who they voted for. I think people had to come to the decision they had to come to. Some Christian leaders were very uh, vitriolic about people who voted for Trump or people who voted for others for that matter. I'm not that person. But I, but I do think that we want to not see political power ultimately as the end goal of the Christian faith. Um, for me, uh, I vote, and I voted a certain way. You know, I've been pretty consistent voting for a long time because I think it's best not just for me but for my neighbor. I think it's best for my neighbor to live in a country where religious freedom is evident and real. I think it's best for my neighbor to live in a country where we don't have these radical abortion laws, for example. I think it's best for my neighbor to live in a country where, where racial uh, injustice is not evident and present. So I, I vote accordingly. But what I would say is that the anger that has come with that, because part of what's happened in this time, and whether, you know, it's not a secret, right? It's Democrat and Republican, right? Right now, what they're all appealing to, this is airing right before the midterms, right? What they're all appealing to is anger, because anger will get you out to vote, but anger will take you down a path that twists and warps your soul. Mm. Uh, you can't live like this anger and this outrage that long term. Now, there's things to have righteous anger about. But that's not what most people are dealing with. It's an outrage that seethes within them, right. and we see it in social media. So I think of finding a better way in community with one another, studying the Word of God, being shaped by spiritual disciplines, engaging our neighbor on mission, not warring against those we disagree. Because, you know, you can't war against the people and reach them at the same time. But ultimately, seeking to be those who've been changed by the power of the gospel, who people might look and say, you know, they got some odd beliefs. They're out of the mainstream that, you know, there's one way to heaven. They're out of the mainstream about morality or marriage or whatever. But— they're my neighbor, and I've seen them help me and encourage me and care for me, and, and therefore I'm going to listen to what they have to say. I think ultimately, you know, there's a, a story goes back to, uh, well, centuries ago. Um, Christianity was advancing through the Roman Empire, right? Um, Cyprian, the bishop of Carthage, when there was a plague going through Carthage, got all the Christians to the city square and said, let's it, we're all in. We're going to give what we need to. We're going to take care. Don't worry about, the, we're not going to worry about the plague. We're going to just serve people like Jesus, right? So about a century later, the gospel's advancing throughout the Roman Empire like crazy. And this guy named Julian gets to be the emperor. We, we call him today Julian the Apostate. So remember, history's written by the winners, and uh, he lost. He was trying to stop the advance of, the, of, of Christianity. And so the, the, uh, the end result is he, he fails. So he's called Julian the Apostate because Christianity continues its advance. We could debate about what it looks like. <laughs> but he writes to a friend, and he says, these Christians, he's, he's upset at them, they, he says they take care of not only their own sick and dead, but ours as well. And he says, and he welcomes them into their agape or love. And here's what he says. These impious Galileans, that's what he calls Christians, these impious Galileans. He talks about how they take care of the sick and the dead and others and the poor. I just want to live in a world where the world doesn't always agree with us. Maybe there's a Julian the apostate around, but they say those impious Galileans, they look different, they live different. They're known for standing up for truth, but doing it in a way that's winsome and loving and showing and sharing the love of Jesus in a broken and hurting world. That's what Christians in the age of outrage is all about. But I also think that's ultimately what the gospel's about. 
Amen, brother. Amen. Ed, so good to have you with us. Great to be here. Thanks. Yes, awesome, my friend. I encourage everyone to check out Christians in the Age of Outrage. Super timely book. Thank you for putting this together and all the research that went into it. Uh, Certainly appreciate you. God bless you. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. Every week as we are putting the episodes together, we're thinking of you, our pastors and ministry leaders, and striving to provide insightful and inspiring interviews as you seek to grow as a kingdom leader. We hope you are finding value from the Church Leaders Podcast, and if so, we would appreciate you taking a few moments to head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your positive reviews and ratings help other church leaders more easily find our podcast so they can benefit as well. Thank you in advance. And if you have any comments, suggestions, or ideas for guests, I would love to hear from you. You can send an email to podcasts at churchleaders.com or connect with me on Twitter. You can find this podcast as well as other great faith-based podcasts on the Faith Play app available for both Apple and Android. So be sure to check out FaithPlay. Until next time, this is Jason Day encouraging you to love well and lead well. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.